You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno, and today, Dr. Reverend Derwin Gray is on the podcast. Derwin is the pastor at Transformation Church in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, where he lives with his wife and kids. He is also a Better Man speaker. We recently filmed him teaching through the Better Man materials, which is now available for churches to use as part of the 11-week Better Man experience. I'll include links in the show description, letting you know where you can find that. Today, Derwin and I have a wide-ranging conversation. We talk about his personal journey with manhood, what he sees in young men today, and just a little uh, preview while he answers that question. He went into preacher mode for a few minutes, and it was amazing. You're going to love that part. Uh, We also talk about why he wrote books on the multi-ethnic church and also the Beatitudes, uh, where he talks about happiness and the good life that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, why he wrote a book on that. And we end with a better man first. I'm just calling this little segment rapid-fire random questions. A lot of fun. You'll get to hear some neat things about his football career uh, during that section. You're going to love Derwin, so take a listen to my conversation, and then I'll be back with a few closing comments. Derwin, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Great to have you here today. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. All right. So why don't we do this? You just recently filmed, agreed to, to film the Better Man uh, curriculum. And so what was going on there and, and what caused you to, uh, what, what attracted you to that and made you want to go ahead and, and film that? Yeah. You know, so the first thing is um, with Robert Lewis, right? And so even before I met Robert Lewis personally, um, God had used his ministry to affect my marriage. Early in our marriage, my wife and I um, stumbled across his book, Rocking the Rolls. Okay. And it was so profoundly influential on us in our marriage because um, like the Better Man material, um, like I'm that guy. Like I didn't know what manhood was or what manhood could be. And the ideas that I had were not that of, of Christ. And so it was all just so new and so fresh. Um, But not just cognitively stuck in my mind, but in my heart and in my hands. And and so when he connected with me, I was like, well, yeah, I'm interested. Um, I have a a deep desire and passion to walk alongside of men and to invite men into this journey of becoming who God has created us to be. And there are a lot of examples and models of what we project as manhood. And if I could distill it down to one word, the word is love. Hmm. But even in our culture, we're, uh, uh, the word love is sometimes phrased as um, sentimental or it's a feeling. What I would say is, is the love that men were created to possess, not just men, but women as well, but specifically speaking to men is um, this kind of love is sacrificial. This kind of love is life giving to others. This type of love is gracious and compassionate. It's winsome. It's strong. And so as I worked through the Better Man material, number one is it was working on me. Mm. Um. You know, it's it's things that I had known for years and that have implemented. But the thing about the beauty of God's truth is that um, it's like an ocean that is unending. And each time you go further, you're more amazed at 
all that there is to continue to grow in. And so as I was working through the Better Man material, the Better Man material was working through me, but my thought was, oh my goodness, this is going to transform a generation of men. Not only is it going to transform a generation of men, it's going to transform families. It's going to transform families, families, families. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I wanted to be a part of it. That's why I filmed it. And uh, I'm a better man as a result of it. And I just believe thousands, if not millions of men will um, have their lives enhanced by it. Yeah. What was some of the experience in the church as you guys were working through the material and doing the filming? Any any stories starting to come out as a result of that teaching? Yeah. You know, so uh, number number one, as we were working through it and filming it, the crew that was filming it, their lives were touched. Mm. Um. The women who were there, a part of it, serving their lives were touched, and I've even heard stories from 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 Robert Lewis himself that there have been men who were far from God and went through the Better Man material, and by week seven, many of them came to faith. Yeah, and so we're looking forward to launching. Uh, better men groups. And we want to specifically reach out to younger men who have no faith background because there's so many misperceptions about who Jesus is and what the better man material does is it's an evangelistic tool as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's shift gears here for a second and talk about your own journey with manhood. When did this aspect of life start to become something that you were taking more serious? Well, it was it was it was after I became a a follower of Christ. So I didn't I didn't grow up going to quote unquote church. For me, yeah. my salvation was football. Football gave me affirmation. It gave me identity. It gave me purpose, and that's what a god is supposed to do. So uh, football became my way out of a traumatic childhood, out of a rough environment. Like it became. Uh, my source of salvation. So I went to Brigham Young, became All-American, considered probably the best defensive back to ever play there. Then I got drafted in the NFL, got married in college. But then on my third year in the NFL, I'm like, wait a minute. Is this is is this it? Because I thought this was supposed to fix me. Yeah. And so the external success could not fix the internal pain could not fix the internal dysfunction. So there's a word for for that. It's called sin. It means to miss the mark. But I didn't even know what the mark was. I just knew something was wrong. But in God's grace, I had a teammate. His name is Steve Grant, but his nickname was the Naked Preacher because he would literally, (laughs) after practice, take a shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist and ask my teammates, do you know Jesus? And so I wanted to avoid this guy. And one day after practice, he asked me, do you know Jesus? And I began a five-year relationship where I watched him embody the gospel, where he taught me the gospel. And on August 2nd, 1997, um, I called my wife on the phone from a dorm room in Anderson, Indiana. It's a fifth year in the NFL training camp. And I called my wife and I said, I want to be more committed to you. And I want to be committed to Jesus. And that's when I was born again. That's that's when I, I physically felt the love of God in Christ capture me. Yeah. And my life hadn't been the same since. So that was 1997. And my wife and I had been married for five years at that point. And when we were studying the scriptures together, we were like, wait a minute, there's got to be more. 
And we went to this thing called Weekend to Remember is a marriage conference thing. And that's where we came across Robert Lewis's book, Rock and Roll. So I would say in about the year 2000 is when I began to capture Jesus's vision for my manhood. Yeah. And I just I just I just want to take a pause here because a lot of times in the Christian space of manhood, the pictures like this dude who's, you know, he's burly and he's tough and he rides horses in the wilderness <laughs> and, you know, he goes out, he looks like John Rambo hunting for dinner. And, and, and yeah, there are some guys that are that way, but yeah. there's some guys who are into poetry. There's some guys who are into gaming. There's some guys who are into art. There's some guys who are CEOs. There's some guys who do those things. The composite of a man is very diverse. So God expresses himself diversely through our diverse wirings. And so if you want to know what a true man looks like, it looks like Jesus telling the children, hey, bring the little kids to me. It looks like Jesus standing up for injustice. It looks like Jesus forgiving sins. It looks like Jesus being strong, but it looks like Jesus also being humble enough to say, uh, yeah, I'm the son of God and I'm going to go to the cross, not because you're making me, but because it's part of the plan to save the world. And so I just want men to be free to express their manliness and all of the diversity. Like, for example, I like musicals. <laughs> my, my my wife likes movies where stuff gets blown up all the time and she doesn't like musicals. You know, it's usually opposite. So so if you want to know what a man looks like, as a matter of fact, if you want to know what a woman looks like, it looks like the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, there peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. I like that. I like that. OK, so you mentioned Steve Grant. You've mentioned Robert Lewis. Who are some other men that have been really influential in your journey, not just in faith, but also also in manhood? Yeah, uh, my grandfather William E. Gillum. He he uh, he would he would he would work fourteen to sixteen hours a day every wow. day, and uh, you know he wasn't as emotionally invested. He was a recovering alcoholic. He had a lot of stress and pressure on him, but man, he was a great provider. And I saw what hard work looks like. Yeah, Coach D. W. Rutledge at Converse Judson was very in- in- instrumental. Coach Mike Sullivan, who was also my defensive coordinator at Converse Judson, uh, the late Lavelle Edwards, head coach of Brigham Young, um, a gentleman by the name of Alan Bacon. He was my first mentor when I became a Christian. He worked for the city of Indianapolis. He loved the Bible. He really taught me what it looks like to be a husband and a father and a man that upholds the word of God. The late Dr. Norman Geisler, you know, he was married to his wife for 60 plus years. That's amazing. Um, and, and, and then uh, Dr. John Perkins. <clears throat> Dr. John Perkins has been married to his wife, Vera May, for 72 years. Uh, he marched in the civil rights since the 60s. He's had a passion to see the gospel not only forgive sins, but to create God's family with different colored skins where racism is eradicated from the church. Um, he's been arrested and tortured by police for uh, fighting injustice. And, uh, you know, just, you know, God has blessed me with some incredible uh, men to watch their model. But ultimately, 
the greatest man with the greatest impression is the God man, Jesus Christ. There you go. That's a good answer. Uh, where Where is the naked preacher today? When, when was the last time you talked to yeah, him? Yeah, um, I actually saw him a few weeks ago. I was preaching in Plano, Texas at a church called One Community Church. Yeah. And uh, that's his home church. And so I actually really? had a chance when I was preaching to share my testimony of how me how he led me to Christ and acknowledged him in the crowd. And uh, it was it was it was a very powerful moment because he remembers me when I was uh, lost, when I used to cuss all the time, when I wasn't who I am now. And for him to see who I am today and our ministry and our church and the books and the influence and the impact. I mean, he was just weeping mm. and kind of the idea was this is, you know, men, you never know how the seeds that you plant are going to bear fruit. That's right. Let's uh, let's talk about young men now. Uh, let's talk about men maybe under the age of 25. So when you look at younger men today, what, what encourages you about the younger generation? Yeah, you, you know, so the first thing is I want those young men. Like, I want to put them under my wings. Hmm. I want to protect them. I want to equip them. I want to challenge them. Uh, I want them to know I believe in them. So what I would say, number one, is young men today have a desire to be a part of things that actually make a difference. Yeah, And I think that's why gaming has taken off, because in these games, you're a part of a bigger strategy, right? But but what I want people to understand is that God wants you to play the ultimate game called life, and it is a battle. That's why he gives us the armor of God to wear. And I want to equip these men with the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the gospel of peace on your feet, shield of uh, faith, and the sword of spirit. And so I am encouraged by young men that want to be a part of making the world better. And my thing is, I want to introduce you to one who says, not only am I going to make the world better, but when I walked out of that tomb, new creation in the midst of the old walked out as well. And when you walk with me, you become a part of my kingdom that will last forever. And not only will we make the world better, I'm going to redeem the world and I'm going to redeem all the people who trust me in every square inch from the hairs on your head to your nucleus. I want to pulsate with life that everything you do is sacred and divine, that you are literally my hands and my feet. Young men love the fact that in Jesus's body on the cross, that's where sin goes to die. But in the resurrection, his body is where they go to live. And we literally become an extension of Jesus on earth. Yeah, I like that. Uh, you know, with uh, the church that you're leading right now with Transformation Church, how would you split out, you know, some of the age, basic age demographics? Do you have a lot of younger men and women that we are do. a part of your congregation? We do. We are we are intentionally a multi-generational congregation, which means you see a ton of 20-somethings running around to 30-somethings, the 40-somethings all the way up. But one of the areas that we've really been intentional about is the teenagers. Yeah, okay. So from age 
12 and up, you're in the big congregation and service with us. Listen, if you're smart enough to game, if you're smart enough to know technology, you are smart enough to understand theology. You're smart enough to know that you're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of now. And so out of all of our servant leaders, our volunteers, close to 20% are teenagers, male and female. Like we've had teenagers on staff. We have had teenagers who serve. And a lot of these kids now, when they've been around adults and they've served in ministry with adults, many of them are going into leadership positions when they get into the workforce because they've had experience around adults. So we don't put our youth in time out and, and think we have to entertain them. They're entertained by the task of, hold wait, wait a minute. You mean God wants to use me now? Yeah, he does. And he can. I I love that sense of identity that 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 really, I'm sure, gives the younger men and women of the church to, you know, what you were just saying there, like, if you're smart enough to do this, then you're smart enough to understand theology. Like speaking that life there and giving that sense of identity, you're not the church of tomorrow, you're the church of now. You are Uh, the church of now. And and that's powerful. And it's 100% true. Yeah, absolutely. I like and that. I like that. You, you know, you know, some some of our best ideas have come from teenagers. Uh, a few years ago, and and, and this is from a female t- t- teenager, African American young lady. It was in the midst of all of the police drama. Yeah, she 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 said, "Why don't you have a young man who marched in protest against the police and a policeman take together and talk?" And so at our church. Um, I asked a judge, a police captain, and a young man who who marched, and it was a powerful conversation and discussion about how do we as Christians go about this task? Because we know not every policeman is bad and not everybody who protests is peaceful. And so we as Christians have got to be above the fray. And as Americans, protest is one of our rights because the flag stands for liberty and justice for all. Like our nation fought a war against itself so that liberty and justice for all could take place. And so protest is a part of it. But how do we as Christians do that? And so our young people are responsive to it. And then the older people are seeing that, wait a second. Yeah, we're we're stewarding these young people and and they're inspiring us just as much as we're inspiring them. Yeah. Um, okay. So now on the flip side though, you know, Proverbs 22 talks about how the prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the foolish or the simple keep going and suffer for it. So if you're walking alongside a young man right now, 25 and under, and you're looking ahead, what, what are some dangers that you see out there that you would want to tell them, hey, don't don't be sim- simple and keep going and suffer for it. Maybe take some refuge from this. Yeah. So the first thing is, is for me personally, when I am mentoring younger men is I let them know that I've been their age and that I have not always been Dr. Reverend Derwin Gray. Right. And so I let them know what my life was like before Jesus. I let them know what are areas where I didn't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So so this 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 answer may sound aloof, but I want to drive into it. So the issue is not avoiding sin. The issue is perpetually worshiping. 
Christianity is not about sin management or avoiding sin. Following Jesus is about worship. Jesus says this in John 15, 5. If you abide in me and I in you, you will produce fruit. Apart from me, you will do nothing. And so what does the word abide mean? In some translations, it means remain. But the Greek word minnow has this texture of staying put, staying close, being glued to. So the issue isn't avoiding sin. The issue is, am I worshiping and drawing life from Jesus? Am I perpetually in gratitude for what he's done? Because here's the deal. If I'm focused on what Jesus has done for me, I'm not going to sin. Jesus tells me that. You know, like I'm literally not going to sin if my focus is on him and walking in the spirit. What I've seen, particularly with men, is we teach men more about what not to do than more about what Jesus has done. Okay, I'm going to preach for a minute because I love (laughs) Jesus and this can change lives. Check it out. When we are preoccupied with what not to do, we end up doing those things or we develop a pharisaical proud attitude. And so the issue is not focused on what not to do. The issue is what the Apostle Paul says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. We are to find refuge in Jesus. One of my issues with men's ministry, it's about men instead of about Jesus. There you go. We need more men who are infatuated with Jesus and what he's done, that there's enough blood on the hill for all of our sin. That when we get caught up in Jesus, we don't get caught up in sin. Why? Because we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 13, 14 says this, we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh when we are walking with Jesus. A lot of our preaching specifically to men is flesh inducing. Don't watch pornography. Don't do this. Don't do that. Before you get to the don'ts, get to what's been done. Done. (laughs) That's a great answer. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for that. So let's do this. Um, Let's talk about a couple of your books. Uh, first of all, building a multi-ethnic church. What do you hope that resource is going to do for the for the big C church, for the church here in America and around the world? Yeah, you know what I want it to do is I want everyday Christians to go, oh my gosh, you mean you're telling me that Jesus did more than just save me from my sins? <laughs> like, like I want people to see the the height and width and depth of what Jesus has done, that individual salvation only exists so that I could be a part of a family. And the family that Jesus creates is a family with brown people and black people and white people and Asian people and Latino people and Native Americans and male and female, young and old, rich and poor, middle class, that, 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 God does salvation in me and through me so I can be a good brother to my brothers and sisters. Too much of our salvation is individualistic and selfish. God brings me into this beautiful family and what the blood of Jesus has binded together, let nothing pull it apart. And so I want people to go, whoa, this is bigger than me. So that's why I built uh, building a multi-ethnic church. And I believe that if the church 
is unified across ethnic slash racial lines, we can give the world an example of what love actually looks like. Yeah, I like that. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that's come out of the last 15, 12, 15 months is just this renewed interest and really maybe this renewed um, awareness of our interdependence on one another across all lines, you know, whether it be race or socioeconomic or, um, you know, interest and, and all of those types of things. And the appreciation that we have and that we, you know, recognizing that we need each other and there's something beautiful that happens with all that. So I, I love, I love your, your heart behind that. All right. Another book that I want to ask you about that you have that's getting ready to be published is The Good Life, What Jesus Says About Finding True Happiness. What prompted you to write that book? Wow. So way back in probably 2014, 2015, no matter who I was meeting, people were not happy. And to make a long story short, what I found out is this, is people were looking for created things and experiences to give them lasting happiness. Mm. And so I said, well, what does Jesus say about happiness? And so hiding in plain sight in the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever preached, Jesus opens up the Sermon on the Mount with what is typically known as the Beatitudes. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And Jesus gives nine characteristics of a blessed person. And the word blessed is the Greek word makros, and it literally means happy. Yeah. So happy are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so I wrote this to show that Jesus is inviting us to truly be happy, but it's not the happiness you think. It's actually better because we typically think happiness is good things happening to me. But Jesus's happiness is this. God is making you good for the world. Mm. And those eight characteristics are the characteristics of what a godly, happy person looks like. So therefore, we're no longer dependent upon situations or circumstances to make us happy because happiness is more than a feeling. It's a commitment and allegiance to allow Jesus to form us into people who can change the world. Because yeah. Matthew 5, when we get down to verses uh, uh, like, like 11 through 14, Jesus says, you're salt and light. Salt preserves, light illuminates darkness. Jesus is saying happy people are the people who preserve culture and illuminate the darkness where even we as Christians are going, I want to be happy. And Jesus is going, I'm trying to show you it's better than just you're smiling all the time. <laughs> right. It's you've become good for the world. Yep. And the way you do it is to let me form you into this beatitude or happy person. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm super excited about that book because I think it is the secret sauce that people are missing. Yeah. And it really ironic because I think you said you were starting to see this back in 2015 and 2016, which I know the, the book process takes so long. Uh, to write it and formulate all this. And how interesting that back in 2015, 2016, you started to write this message or, you know, write out this book and, and work this out. And now when it's being released, I mean, talk about the timing, because uh, the world is deficit. There, there, there's a huge deficit of a lot of happiness, whether they be 
there's just there's just a longing for that right now, and so I can imagine just the timeliness of this message is perfect. yeah. Well, and and the the global pandemic, the 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 imagery that I see is like when you go to the beach and you see these kids and they're making um they're making these sandcastles and they don't know that a big wave is going to come eventually wipe it all away. Right. Well, before COVID, even for Christians, I feel like that we have been building these sandcastles mm. instead of building our lives on the rock. And the pandemic just washed it all down. And when the water recedes, we see all these false gods, all these idols we've been worshiping. We've been worshiping our children. We've been worshiping our spouses. We've been worshiping our jobs. We've been worshiping experiences. We've been worshiping social media. And Jesus is saying, you've been created to worship me, not because I need it, but because you do, because what you worship is what you become like. And so Jesus in the good life, um, my, my premise is he's inviting you into true happiness, which leads to true holiness, which makes you good for the world. I like that. All right, Derwin, this has been uh, a fascinating conversation. I want to do something new. I don't think we've ever done this on the podcast, but with you, it felt right. And so I'm just going to end with some rapid fire questions. Let's okay? do it, man. These are totally random. I want just, don't think about it. Just tell me. Let's do it. Uh, give me your, all right, here we go. Best stadium you ever played in. Best stadium I ever played in would be Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego, which no longer exists. I had some of my best games there, loved the fans there, and I'm convinced that San Diego looks like the new heavens and new earth. It really does. I was there a couple years ago with my family, and I think you're right. All right, most satisfying hit during a game? Most satisfying hit during a game was October uh, 8th, 1995, I was with the Indianapolis Colts. We're playing the Miami Dolphins. We were down 24 to three at halftime in the third quarter. Our defensive coordinator called 98 Buffalo Blitz, which puts me down in the nickel position. I came in on a blitz. Dan Marino looked to his right. I was coming from his left and I just absolutely devoured him <laughs> and slammed him to the ground. It was a big team brawl. Anyway, he busted uh, his hip up, had to get blood drained out of his hip, had to get cartilage in his in his left knee fixed, and we came back to win the game 27-24. And then Dan Marino told me I hit him harder than anybody had ever hit him in his career. That's amazing. That, that right there, that's a and great story. And if you story. go to my Instagram page, at Derwin L. Gray, you can find the actual hit. You could find it. Okay, that's what I was about to put out there. I was gonna, I was gonna do that in the close of just saying if anybody can find that YouTube video, we'll send them a T-shirt. Um, all right, best pizza in Indiana, and I've got thoughts here because my parents are from Indiana. So you spent some time in Indianapolis. Best pizza in Indiana. I mean, we used to eat Uno Pizza. Okay. I mean, I know that's a brand or like like a chain. I'm not a real big pizza guy. Okay. All right. Well, anybody else in Indiana, go visit Pizza King or Arnie's. Those, that's some of the best pizza in Indiana. My parents grew up in Lafayette, and uh, that's where I, I basically grew up. That was vacation for me growing up, was okay. going back to Indiana. So, all right. Funniest ex-teammate. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You can't just have one. Well, you oh, got to pick one, Derwin. Just one. Oh, my gosh. Funniest ex-teammate. Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I got to go with the naked preacher, Steve Grant. <laughs> like, I mean, he was utterly hilarious. Just the way he walked, the way he talked, the way he ate food, 
Uh, it was <laughs> tremendous. The Naked Preacher has got to be my funniest ex-teammate. All right, Steve Grant. He's in Plano, you said, and I'm, I'm here in, Plano, in uh, Dallas yeah. Richardson. I need to look him up and go go hang out with him. He sounds fun. Uh, all right, most impactful book of the Bible for you personally. Which one you keep going back to over and over again? Ephesians. Ephesians, um, all right. Um, Ephesians is my book that uh, by the time my time here on earth is done until the new heavens and new earth, I want to be a, I want to understand that book in depth. Okay. I like it. All right. So you live in South Carolina. You're just south of, uh, of so Charlotte. So I live in Charlotte. You live in Charlotte. Okay. Yeah. But our church is in a, in a, in a town called Indianland, South Carolina. So we just say the Charlotte Metro, this place is just growing like crazy. All right. Well, this one, I'll just going to ask you anyway, if you, cause I thought you were living in South Carolina, but so I was just going to say Gamecocks or Tigers, which one? Neither. Come on. All right. No, 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 neither, man. So I graduated. If I'm going to cheer for a college football team, right, it's going to be my alma mater, Brigham Young yeah. University. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I could care less who wins out of Clemson or um, South Carolina. I do know this: the way college football is today, it's all about recruiting, and Clemson just gets better players. They do. Thank you very much. That's my alma mater. So I like hearing you say at least one positive yeah. thing about it. All right. Guilty, uh, guilty pleasure TV show. Uh, guilty pleasure TV show. Probably um, Peaky Blinders, but don't tell anybody. All right. <laughs> I'm not editing it out, though. So. All right. So uh, two more. Let's say you have a big interview on CNN. Who are you going to trust to dress you for that interview? Your wife, your kids or me? My daughter. All right. Your daughter. I like that. Favorite app on your iPhone right now? Uh, well, number one is I don't use an iPhone. I use a <laughs> Samsung Galaxy S21 right. Ultra. Uh, my favorite app probably is Twitter because I'm always on it. All right. Twitter, I like that. And then we'll last one, favorite podcast you listen to? Better Man. There we go. You walked into that. All right. I love it. Well, Derwin, this has been a great conversation today. Just fascinating. We really do appreciate your time uh, today. So thank you for that. And also just thank you for partnering with Better Man uh, it is so encouraging to us here at Better Man just to know that we're locked arms with you and and on this journey with you. Thanks for your time. Hey man, thank you so so much. And and I just I just want to speak these words of blessing over over Better Man. Let's do it. Um, I want to pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that the Lord would create revival through Better Man. That we would see businessmen and business executives, young men. Uh, we would see men from all walks of life be transformed by this material in such a way that a revival breaks loose that, yes, they're good speakers. Yes, there's great content, but that a great God would breathe on it. Hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Derwin, once again, thanks for being on the podcast with me today, and I'm only slightly offended that you picked your daughter over me to be your stylist for that fake CNN interview that hasn't happened. But anyway, I'm sure she'll do a great job. If you guys want to learn more about Derwin, you can go to derwinlgray.com or transformationchurch.tv. I'll put links to both of those in the show description so you guys can easily find him and learn more about him. And hey, if you're listening today and you want to surround yourself with other men, like the ones that Derwin listed out, you, you want to have a list of men that you can point to to go, hey, these guys have had a huge influence on my life and my journey and in my faith. 
uh, then the Better Man Experience can help you do just that. This is a great way to be influenced and mentored by other godly men who are on the same journey as you. Our 11-week experience is a great way to explore manhood in a way that's not only going to provide you with a biblical perspective, but it's going to change your life forever as you get to know Jesus. As Derwin said, the God-man, the one who has had the most influence on his life and the lives of so many men. And so Better Man is free of charge for churches, so go to betterman.com to explore how you can bring this experience to your church or community. That's betterman.com. Once again, as always, these episodes are mixed and edited by the team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we got for today on the Better Man Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next time.